If you want to get ahead in life, I really think that learning and understanding keys of negotiation are super important because they'll come in handy in a lot of different areas in life. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where I share mindset, lifestyle, and business hacking tips, tools, and some painful lessons along my journey from growing my businesses and also working with some of the top entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professional athletes. All right, Driven Mofos, welcome back to another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Michael Mojo, the founder of Mojo Human Performance Institute, where we focus on business, mindset, and lifestyle hacking for Driven Mofos. The reason why I do these episodes is that most people waste their life, and I just don't want you to be one of them. Now, these are some of the keys of negotiation that I've come across over the years from negotiating you know, million dollar plus deals, right through to negotiating with cars, and also having to negotiate with staff, and also family members. Sometimes we've got to negotiate to get what we want from family or friends or in relationships. And these are some of the key critical factors, I believe, that most people get wrong when it comes to negotiation. Now, just like everything in life, if you want to develop a skill set, you've got to put the time and energy and the thought process into it. Most people don't do it, which is why they struggle with it. And if you think about just communication in general, most people have never learned how to communicate. They just, well, they, I mean, they learn how to communicate, but they learn off of other poor communicators like their friends and their family. And then they wonder why they don't get what they want in life. So if you want to be great at communication and you want to be great at negotiation, then these are things that you need to develop and you learn over time. And you can learn through trial and error, or you can learn by getting out there and reading books or going to seminars or attending events or whatever it is. But you need to learn how to do it if you want to be effective at it and put the time and energy effort into it. So these are some of the key things that I have learned. The first thing is that I believe that all great negotiation has to be a win-win for both parties or a loss loss for both parties. So if something's going to sting, it has to sting a little bit for both parties. If one person gets absolutely screwed in a negotiation and the other person feels like they've got heaps out of it and they get exactly what they want and it's better than what they wanted, then that can cause huge problems down the track. And I'll talk about this a little bit later on. But you want to try and develop a win-win situation if you can in the negotiation, because that will be really important in whatever you're doing. So if you're in an argument with your intimate partner, and let's just say you're married, they want you to do something, you don't want to do it, and then you both argue, and then eventually you do it, you're going to feel like shit, and they're going to feel like they've got what they wanted. Now, on the other hand, if you don't do it, you're going to feel like you've won, they feel like shit, and it's a win-lose situation. And really, no one wins out of that game, because you're going to have a pissed off intimate partner either way, or they're going to get you who's pissed off. That's not a great way of negotiating. Good quality negotiation comes down to good quality communication, and really understanding the other person. So what you want to do is you want to find out how to make it a win-win and keep that in the back of your mind. There are multiple benefits of having a win-win situation situation instead of a win-lose. Now, when most people think about sales, that normally is a win-loss situation or it's a zero-sum game. If you think about this in finance, there's something called a zero-sum game. And what it is, is if I win, you lose. Now, the majority of the trading industry is based on that. So if I buy, if I'm a margin trader and I'm buying a share right now and I hope that it goes up, essentially the person that I bought it off, you hope that it goes up as well because then everyone wins. But eventually it gets to a point where someone has to lose because the market then drops. So if the market it drops, someone has to lose in order for someone else to buy it at a cheaper price in order to get the win. So the reason why I don't really like the whole trading industry just as a whole, whether it's foreign exchange trading, whether it's options trading, whether it's share trading, is because it's normally a win-loss situation. It's a zero-sum game. Now, that's not a great place to be in for multiple reasons. And from a psychological point of view, it's not a great place to be. When I've worked with people who work in the trading industry or when I work in, with people in the finance industry, a lot of them have alcohol problems 
problems. They have drug problems. They also use medication quite heavily as well. And there are a lot of, you know, psychological issues where there's suicide, depression, anxiety issues. I really believe that those industries are that way because they're consistently fucking people. When you fuck people in order to get ahead, you will always feel like a piece of shit. And essentially you are a piece of shit. That's why they, you know, they go down that path. Now, I'm not saying that at their core, they're a piece of shit. It's just their behaviors are like that because they think that in order to win, someone else has to lose. And I don't know whether it's because of a sporting mentality where our team wins and your team loses, so fuck you. I don't know what it is, but there's something in Western culture where there's this win-loss mentality. That's not a great way of doing business long-term. Now, in sport, if you love watching the game, then it doesn't matter who wins and who loses. You might have a preferential team that you want to win, but you don't really get all emotional if one team wins or one team loses, and you don't get hyper-aggressive towards it because it just is what it is. It's a game. Now, I think in finance and in business, if you're one of those people who are like, I want to get in there and I want to make as much money as possible, then you tend to fuck other people and screw them. Eventually, you will get fucked in that process because it will create psychological imbalances. You'll start feeling like shit. Like, think about this. If you've got to kick a family out of their home because you're trying to get ahead financially and you're booting them out of their house and you're a multimillionaire, then you're eventually going to pay the, that repercussion in some way, shape or form. I, I don't know the exact science behind it. If there's a physics, if there's part of physics or whatever that fits into it, I don't know. But what I do know is that most people who are mentally stable know that they're doing the wrong thing. And when they do, when they do the wrong thing for long enough, eventually they'll start trying to deal with that mental imbalance and that incongruency that they have. A lot of people do that with drugs, with alcohol, or with overspending and buying stuff, which then eventually they get obliterated. And like I said, I've seen this happen in the financial markets quite a lot, where when they win, they know psychologically they know they've fucked someone and so they'll start drinking they overconsume things drugs food so not only do they get fat some of them not all of them um, some of them do quite well on methamphetamines which then means that they are quite skinny but they also overconsume alcohol drugs all of that stuff and it eventually leads to their downfall when they end up worse off in the long run so they might feel like they're winning now but they're not thinking long term if you do it long term a lot of people uh, don't come out on top they actually come out worse the great people in the industry try to add value so people like Warren Buffett go in there they buy shares because they're investing in a company. That's completely different because they're trying to add value back into the economy through the product, through the service. And they know that if they can help customers and they do a good job, the customers will keep buying. So everyone wins. It's not a zero sum game. And business should not be that way. Business should be, you know, if you're a property developer and you're developing houses, those houses then should be for, you know, mums and dads, or, or let's just say they are for mums and dads. Well, those mums and dads are now investing in a property that hopefully will give them a beautiful home to live in. It'll allow their kids to have a beautiful environment to grow up in. And when you look at it that way, it's not just the finance, it's the other the other value adds that come with that. It gives the family stability. So when you do that and you do it in a great way, it's fantastic. But if you're one of those developers out there who are just putting together these fucking shoebox pieces of shit that are going to fall apart in five years, and you've got tradies who are doing it for as cheap as possible because they're trying to just get ahead and they don't give a fuck, all you've done is you've just given this family a nightmare. They're going to move in there. They're going to have a house that's going to fall apart in a couple of years. They're going to feel completely you know, pissed off and frustrated. They're going to hate the whole building industry. You know, it's just, it just ends up disgusting. And that's unfortunately, there are a lot of people in that industry that do that. I don't think that it's a great way to live. And I've definitely met people in the building industry and in the property development industry who have drug, alcohol addictions, who have lost their family, who have had multiple marriages, who have had multiple divorces, who have destroyed their whole lives by trying to chase quick dollars and quick wins. Just go and have a quick watch of the movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. Quite entertaining. I almost had the ability to meet Jordan Belfort uh, on a boat day. One of my, one of my friends uh, knows him. Hopefully he's changed, but I know back in those days, 
days, if you watch the movie, it was zero sum game. He didn't give a fuck who he screwed because he wanted to get ahead at the expense of other people and bang, you know, you end up in the situation that he ended up with in drugs, alcohol, you know, jail time and lost everything just because of that. I mean, he's rebuilt back up now. You need to understand these things, especially when you're trying to negotiate deals. Don't be that guy. Try and get a win-win. And if you're dealing with someone who is just trying to screw everyone, then you need to have better communications tools. You need to have better negotiation tools in order to deal with them. And then also it might be worthwhile walking away from it. I've walked away from multiple deals before where I go, this isn't worth it and just walked away from them. Um, and the more powerful you are, the more you can walk away from it. You know, like these days, I don't need other people's money. I can essentially do what I need to in most cases. I mean, it's always great to keep making more money and things like that because it creates more opportunities and more business growth and things like that. But at the same time, I'm not reliant on other people for, you know, those quick wins or whatever. And that's a good place to be in. So if you set yourself up financially, you don't have to go into those shitty negotiations where you get screwed in the process. And um, unfortunately, some people who try to grow too quick end up in that situation where they're going to get screwed because I've done the, you know, they've done the wrong thing. But anyway, so you want to try and figure out how to create a win-win. So step number two is when you're trying to create that win-win, you need to really spend a lot of time listening and clarifying. So in a lot of deals, when you're trying to negotiate a deal to make sure that it's win-win, you really need to listen to what they're trying to get, what you're trying to get and negotiate to make sure that both of you can win. When I bought, I bought Jess's car and I was able to negotiate a wild deal on it. The car was worth, I think about a hundred and ten thousand dollars and it was like six years ago or five no five years ago maybe the car's five years old or four years old now but i essentially sent out an email to every it was a little range rover evoke uh, that's what she wanted so i sent out an email to all the dealers in australia and i said look here's what we're looking for uh the dealer here in adelaide was quite rude because they they had the market um and so they didn't really give a fuck they essentially said you either buy the car or you don't like we don't give a shit um and so i went all right <laughs> it's not that hard these days we live in a global economy and also it's not that hard to buy stuff from interstate so i sent out an email and this guy called up and and we had a bit of a chat most of them were way overpriced I normally know how the car industry works and the margins that they create. And, and I know that they can come down quite a bit. I ended up talking to this guy. He had to sell, well, he he said he had to only sell one more car in order to get a massive commission for the company. And also he would get a massive commission for the end of year. So I knew, and, and in the conversation, he actually said to me, he said, I could give you the car for free and I'd still make money and, and the company would still make money, which was the wrong thing for him to say, especially when you're negotiating because, you know, it gave me huge leverage and I ended up getting that car for almost $30,000 less than the, uh, the ticketed price. Uh, so I think I paid $78,000 for it. That was a huge, a huge win for us, but also as well, they got what they wanted. And so I was able to negotiate that quite well, but I was listening to how the person was communicating, how they were talking, what they were saying, asking questions, because I wanted to know, like I wanted to get the price cheaper because I know that when you drive a car out of the showroom, like you lose money just like that. So I didn't want to drive the car out of the showroom and lose a massive chunk of change that I've worked extremely hard for, for no real reason. I wanted to make sure that I was able to drive that car out of the showroom and that it was worth what it was worth. And it would be worth what it would be worth in a couple of years um, if we were gonna go sell it. So I wanted to negotiate that deal to make sure that it was worth it for us and that also it was worth it for them. And so it was just a, an ability to ask questions, to really listen effectively, made a massive difference. So if you are in a negotiation, spend a lot of your time listening and clarifying. I was working with a client a couple of weeks ago where he was about to get booted out of a large organization that, that he had built. It was his business uh, or his company. And there was sort of a bit of an undertone where previous company executives were trying to kick him out of his own company. And I was able to communicate with him and just said, look, what you want to do is just ask questions, shut the fuck up, listen to what they say, 
And by asking questions, you can back them into, an, into a corner where they will look incompetent, but you've just got to ask the questions. Now, by doing that, he probably saved his company, he saved his own ass, and also he started making other people look a little bit incompetent who were trying to overthrow his position um, because they were trying to make him look incompetent. But by them over-communicating, it sort of swung it around the other way. So my point is, make sure you spend time listening, ask questions, and clarify statements. So is this what you're saying? And make sure you clarify it so the other people feel understood. That'll help massively in negotiations. Number three is if someone has to take a hit, be responsible and rational. So like I said at the start, if it's a it's a lose-lose situation, which is happening right now a lot in the property development industry, the building industry, there has to be a loss-loss there. Now, you know, mum and dad who are buying their houses, they don't want to lose money because they're on a fixed price contract. You have the builders who have agreed to a fixed price contract, but at the same time, all their the prices of everything have gone up. So their margins have been cut dramatically and they might even be taking a massive loss on, on it. Developers are doing the same thing because, you know, the the buildings are, or, or the builders are blowing out timeframes. In order for everyone to win out of it in some way, shape or form, it might mean that a few people have to take a hit along the way. Now, people who are buying a house need to understand that they're getting into a contract where if the builder falls over, they might not ever get their house done. If the developer goes bankrupt, they might never get their house done, or there might be other problems associated with it, or it might take four more years to get to get finished. So there has to be a hit amongst multiple parties. And that just means that the, the communication needs to be really, really effective amongst all of the parties and everything needs to be communicated open and honestly about what's going on and transparent. And then from there, you know, the only way forward is that everyone takes a hit. And sometimes this is what happens with investments or investing or even buying a house. Sometimes that shit happens, especially if markets change. But yeah, it's it's essential to be open and transparent about those things as well. Number four is body language and tonality are essential. 55% of communication, according to psychological science that I've come across, around 55% of communication is body language and around about 33 to 38% is tonality. Not sure how they got that data. I've, I read the research article ages ago. Off the top of my head, I can't even remember it. So it is important to make sure that when you're negotiating, you have to use your body language and tone effectively. If you're yelling at someone, that's not gonna be effective. When someone's listening and they're going through some pain, you might have to say, you know, I do, I do understand it does sound challenging for you versus I do understand and I understand that it's challenging for you because that can be very confrontational just on that tonality. Now, if you're in an intimate relationship, I'm sure there are times where you've been pulled up and your partner has said, I don't like your tone. And that is because tone is more important than the words that you speak according to that research. So most people focus on their words, not their tone and not their body language. Now your face gives away your body language. So a lot of the time facial expressions can easily give away whether you're listening or not listening, or whether you're distracted, not distracted. In a negotiation, it is really important to make sure that your face is expressing the feelings that are going on for the other party. So when you need to be firm, be firm in your face. You can soften and lean forward and things like that when you're listening to someone. So it looks like you're taking in that information. You can lower your tone, especially when someone is communicating that they're going through pain or stress or frustration. Um, sometimes you've got to be a little bit more dominant with your body and you sit up a little bit taller, open your shoulders up, breathe deeper to show you know that you're posturing a little bit. These things, if you do them well and you think through it, it'll just seem seamless. If you're someone who really logically goes into it, you'll disconnect from someone straight away. I used to see this in NLP courses back in the day when I was studying neuro-linguistic programming. I used to see all the dumb shit that used to happen in that industry where people would use these language patterns and stuff like that that an intelligent person will pick up on in two seconds. Or you see someone who's trying to match and mirror. So you cross your legs and a second later they cross their legs and then you lean on one side and they lean on the opposite side because they're, they're mirroring. Now, when that happens, you break rapport immediately because you know you're being fucked with. And the key to great body language and great communication 
is that if you're using these tools, people don't need to pick up on them. And they're just good communication tools. I've had people come to my events and they go, I know that you're using NLP in the way that you're communicating. And I'm like, I'm not. Well, I am, but I'm not. And they go, well, what do you mean? And I say, well, the whole point of neuro-linguistic programming or understanding linguistics, and, and I have studied a lot into lingu linguistics as well, not just in neuro-linguistic programming, but in the field of psychology as well. When you go and look at a lot of these patterns, they're just studying people who are already good at it. So if you have a look at a professional athlete who does extremely well, they already are doing a skill set amazingly well, which makes them highly competent. Then other people go and study that. So if I'm looking at running, I will go and learn from a runner who already has an amazing skill set and who has developed that skill set and I can learn off of them that skill set. But you need to become consciously competent first, which also means that sometimes it can seem like you're disconnected or that you're really having to think hard about what you're doing when you're developing that skill set. The point that I'm trying to make is that good communicators are good communicators. Now, there are plenty of people out there who study NLP who they have all these tools, but they're still really shitty fucking communicators because they're logically in their head all the time. They're not just communicating with people. What I learned years ago is that if you just focus on connecting with people, you connect with them well anyway. And if you understand human behavior, then you understand a lot more about how to connect with someone effectively. But very rarely do I go into any of my events and use any of those psychological tools in order to manipulate people to get them to do what I want. I just do what I do because that's the way that good communication needs to happen in the first place. And sometimes you'll use a little bit of fine tuning or whatever. But other than that, it doesn't matter. Like when I when I communicate, I have people who say, you know, I can hear your tonality is changing and you know, you're focusing on all these different tones and the way that you're using your body. And I'm like, dude, I'm just doing what I do. Like this is the way I communicate with people. And this is the way that I use my body language when I'm running an event. Like I don't even think about it. It's just something that happens. But that's because I'm focusing on the people I'm communicating with, not the fucking tools. And I find sometimes when people focus on the tools too much, it absolutely breaks the rapport with the person. And that's the most important thing. So when you're negotiating, even if you do have certain tools, please make sure that the most important function of you being there is to make sure that the person's connected with you and you're connected with them so that you can communicate effectively. Once you break that rapport, it's a lot harder to get the trust back. Be careful with the way that you use these tools. If you have studied NLP or psychology or whatever, use those tools if you need to. But just remember, always come back to the most important thing. And the most important thing in communication is rapport. So make sure you keep it. Number five is you don't always have to win by screwing others. You'll just get a bad reputation. And I spoke about this at the start. So if you go into deals and you're used to fucking everybody all the time and you're not looking after everybody's best interest, you might win and others might lose. But eventually, how do you think that they feel? Your their, their experience with you is not pleasurable. It is not something that they enjoy. And because of that, you'll either get a bad reputation. Eventually, you'll start feeling like shit if you're self-aware enough. It could lead to drugs, alcohol, overconsumption of food, overconsumption of money. And I watch this happen quite a lot, as I mentioned, in the financial industries. If you just want to see people in absolute self-destruction, financial industries and any industry where there's a large amount of wealth being created, this often happens. It also happens in areas where there's a lot of money being thrown around. You'll see it in the financial markets. You'll see it in the property markets. I've seen it in financial planners and stuff as well, where they're always taking cuts and commissions off of people and selling insurances and insurance industry as well. A lot of these industries have high suicide rates, high drug addictions, high alcohol consumption, um, You know, overeating. A lot of people are fat in those industries. And the reason why is because they're over-consuming to try and make themselves feel better about the way that they operate in life. I don't recommend that that's a good idea. And if you're part of this community, I really hope that you would focus on trying to benefit yourself and others at the same time. You know, in our community, something that I always focus on, like I tell people, I'm, I'm up front. I'm not one of those speakers who fucking lie to our audience. And there are so many speakers out there who do that. They go, money's not important to me. Yet, at the same time, they're making, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year in what they're doing. Money has to be important because if money wasn't important, you wouldn't be making that amount of money. 
So normally their top three values will have business or wealth creation in there. When they say that, they're lying to their audience because they're afraid that they're gonna get judged as being a money person and that their core driver is only money. Now, some of them do that and some of them that is their driver. And that's the problem because it gives an industry a bad name. But also, I just wanna say that if you're honest with people, sometimes you'll be judged. I tell people that business and wealth creation is important for me. It's one of my higher values. It's not the number one reason why I do everything I do. My, my highest value is teaching and learning. And then my second highest value is people and connecting with people, especially people that wanna learn and wanna grow or I can learn off of. And then my third highest value is business and wealth creation. So I put my two highest values into the business. Hopefully I provide enough value consistently to people where they wanna spend money with me and then the business grows. So money is important. You can't grow a business if money's not important. So when people say I don't give a shit about money yet they have a lot of money, that's not true, they're lying. Either that or they're in complete mental conflict. What I would suggest is if you are negotiating, please make sure that you're open and honest around what you're wanting and what they're wanting because it makes the negotiation a lot easier. And so, yeah, I do talk about this at my events as well. Like I can't run a business without making money. And also money is an exchange of value. It's a fair and equitable exchange of value. Normally, if you run a business and you do shit for free, you'll notice that you just surround yourself with a whole bunch of scabby people with high expectations that expect you to do everything for nothing because they think that you're a good person or they tell you that you're a good person. But at the same time, you're getting fucked in that process because you're wasting your time, you're wasting your energy and you're wasting your knowledge. And those things are some of the most valuable assets that you have in life. So you don't want to just waste those things. So what I tell people is that money is an exchange of value. You want to find out how to create fair and equitable value exchange. So if someone's going to pay me, like I know that from our business model, there are people out there who can't afford to pay me for one-on-one -on -one coaching. And that's fine. That's why we have lower price point products because I want to be able to help them, but I can't give up my valuable time, my valuable knowledge that I've spent millions of dollars gaining just to give to people because they want me to be a nice person. That's not fair on me. It's not fair on my future. It's not fair on my family. It's not fair on our community because I would rather spend that one-on-one time with people who have the net worth to pay me what I'm worth. But at the same time, if I give them some advice, that advice could save them millions. So them paying a couple hundred thousand dollars or even, you know, it might even be $20,000 or whatever, whatever the, the coaching package is that they're on. You know, if, if I can save someone a million dollars by a piece of advice, asking for $5,000 is nothing. You know, the way I negotiated a million dollar deal with one of my clients um, to be a shareholder in their company and, and get, you know, a shareholding was that I was able to negotiate that, but that was because it was a large deal. And if what I taught him worked well, then he would have made a large sum of money from it and, you know, he would have excelled. So therefore, you know, I feel like that was fairly responsible. It's a win-win. So you really want to figure out how to make situations win-win. Don't be attached to being a nice person, but don't be attached to being an asshole and screwing everybody as well. There's a nice, beautiful balance point in the middle where you know what you want, you know what they want, you understand everything, and then you can negotiate those deals. But please don't do it at the expense of others because if you do that, you'll end up destroying your own life as well, okay? Anyway, I hope that helps River Mofos. Um, I really appreciate those who have been liking and reviewing, sharing these podcast episodes as well. I really do appreciate it. I know a lot of you have been writing reviews on the podcast app, the Apple podcast app. I really do appreciate it. I read them. I send them to my team. I, I do appreciate it. So if you are on the Apple podcast app, if you could uh, give us a five-star rating, if you would like these or a three-star rating or whatever you want, right? you give the rating um, and then write a, a review as well. I'd really appreciate it because it helps us to get more people listening and me being able to share this information with more people. If you're on Spotify as well, please make sure you uh, hit those the stars as well and give a rating again, because it pushes us out to more people. And if you're watching this on YouTube as well, um, please make sure to subscribe and hit that like button. I really do appreciate it, everybody. Um, the reason why I do this is that most people waste their life and I just don't want you to be one of them. Never underestimate the dream driven mofos.